0: Hey, good morning, Fireside. It's still summertime, but we are in fall mode. And I got to tell you what, it is amazing to be back here. I've been praying about what God is going to be doing. I've been just so... expectant of his spirit to be realized in all of our lives. And so I'm so, so thankful for what God's doing and that you guys are all here. And uh, if, if you are new and, and the Walkers did a great job, didn't they do a good job? Give the hand for the Walkers. Um, we. We have a bunch of families signed up, and, and we are a, we want to be a relational church. So we want to get to know people. We want people to get to know each other. And We believe discipleship is best through relationship. And you guys may have questions. Okay, who, who is Fireside? What? How did this all happen? What do you guys believe? All that stuff. And we'll answer questions and talk about a little bit of our journey and eat flatbreads pizza. All right? And so uh, it's a great time. So we got a lot going on, but I just want to jump in to today's sermon because we got a lot to go over. Um, This series is a series in Acts. So if you remember, way back in the spring, we started the early church, and and the Spirit came at Pentecost, and the church was launched, and God said, You are going to be my body, and the church was released, and we talked about that. And then we kind of stopped. In about May or June, and we pivoted and we looked at parables. And I gotta tell you, it was amazing hearing from Kay and Connor and Joel and Ron just about these teachings that Jesus gave that are timeless. But we wanna go back to Acts because in Acts, there's a pivot point. So the church was launched, it was mostly in Jerusalem, and it was mostly Jews coming to Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. How did we get here in Massachusetts, thousands of miles away from Jerusalem, worshiping God? And God used a man named Paul to preach the good news to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are anyone who's not Jewish. See, Saul was a tyrant, Saul became Paul. And I just want to pause here, and we've talked about this before, but we need to press into it because Saul, we have to understand, when we read Paul's letters, there was a time when he was Saul. So the first martyr was Stephen. He was one of the leaders in the church. And the Jewish leaders did not like their their people following Jesus, not their traditions, and so they stoned him. And scriptures say that Saul was there giving his approval. He was actually too powerful to either pick up a stone, instead he had others do it. And then it said Saul was going town to town, taking Christians out, which they called the way. Now, we're not talking about the Mandalorian, this is the way. We're talking about Christianity, that was what they called, this is the way. And he would imprison them and often, and sometimes kill them. And this is Saul. He was trained by Gamiel, which was a very prestigious rabbi. He was a Pharisee, so he was educated. And on his way to Damascus, a city that still exists today, and you may know the story if you grew up in church, Jesus appears in a great light and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus. And Saul's blinded for three days. He gets trained by the church leaders for years and years. And God says, Saul, I am changing your name to Paul, and I am sending you out to preach the good news to the Gentiles. Preach the news to those who don't even have a basis understanding of who I am, the Jews. Preach it to all people, and his journey begins. And you would think this is good news, but guess what? There was tension. I mean, I mean, honestly, there's never tension in churches, right? It just doesn't exist. We're all peaceful people. But there was tension. And so these Jewish leaders who were believers of the way, they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. First, they need to be Jewish. They need to be like us before they're like him. Right? There's a process. You need to share our culture. You need to get caught up. You need to do our customs. First, you need to be like us, Jewish, and then you can be like Jesus. And Paul debates them. And here we pick up in Acts 15, if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, Acts 15, chapter 1. And what I really want to say with the Saul the Paul thing is this. Many of you are coming here with a past. Many of you are having your past prevent you from your future purpose. I have seen this in so many people's lives, in my life included, where the enemy will weaponize your past, but Jesus will utilize your past. The enemy will take your past against you and tell you things like, oh, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're too sinful. Look what you did. How could God use you? I know everyone here, I think, has had that sense in their life at one point. If God only knew what I've done, and you know what? He does. But yet he still cares for you and he has a calling The enemy will weaponize it, but Jesus will utilize it. Now, that doesn't mean we can't learn from our past. That's a way of Jesus utilizing our past for our future purpose and extending the gospel of Christ. So if anyone is here with a past, look at Saul, who actually killed Christians, was a murderer, and yet wrote the majority of the New Testament. And yet, Launched the church outside of the walls of the Jerusalem church. So Acts 15, verse 1. Now certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now this brought Paul and Barnabas into a sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Thessalonica and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This nude made all the believers very glad. Now when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles may hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe, God who knows the heart, show that He accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as He did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for He purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they finished, James, the brother of Jesus, spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon Peter has described to us how God first intervened to those, a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. It is written, after this, I will return... And rebuild david's fallen tent it's ruin i will rebuild and i will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the lord even all the gentiles who bear my name says the lord who does these things things known from long ago it is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for the gentiles who are turning to god Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from, polluted, from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat and strangled animals, and from blood. We pray, Lord, we pray, God, that this word would just seep into our soul, transform us, give us eyes to see what you see, Lord. We thank you for the global movement that is going on right now, and it's in your name we pray, Amen. Don't you hate when things that are supposed to be simple become so complicated? Now, this may happen in a variety of ways in your life. I think sometimes right now we live in a post-COVID world where when you hire a a contractor, a plumber, or anyone, it makes you feel like you're working for them instead of them working for you. And it's so complicated, and you got to set up schedules, and you got to do insurance and all this. Now, I would say the worst, in my opinion, the worst organization, organization, and forgive me if anyone works for this organization, is the DMV. Now the DMV makes such simple things so complicated. And you see this trailer that we have, which was a, an amazing gift to Fireside. You know, we were lugging things with our cars and we just have speakers and kids stuff and so we need a trailer and so a company said, hey, we want to donate it to you, which was fantastic, but it needed to get registered, it needed to go through the paperwork, and I went to the DMV, and this is not even being sarcastic, five times, people, waited in line, had all my paperwork, and they said, oh, you need this, okay, come back, get that, go back in line, oh, you forgot this, and to the point where I thought they were just kind of toying with me, like, oh, here he comes, and again. because I became friends with everybody there, And they're like, you got your stuff? I got my stuff. And then I walk away. Do you get your stuff? No, I didn't. Five times to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to carry this stuff to Salisbury Elementary on a Sunday morning. Or we're just going to go acoustic. Why is it so complicated? I'm trying to follow the law. I'm trying to be a great obeying citizen. But you keep putting things in my way. Does anyone feel like that at all with anything? I think sometimes the church can do the same thing. We'll put unnecessary obstacles and complications to prevent people from experiencing and following Jesus. I love when the brother of Jesus stands up and he says, It is my judgment, therefore we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. They don't have to be Jewish. And for any male out there who's not circumcised, aren't you just so thankful for that? (laughs) We should not make it difficult. They don't need to do, they don't need to share our culture. They share in the same spirit and the same grace that we have. There's two stories in the Bible that I absolutely love that magnify this point. And one is when Jesus is teaching to a crowd of teachers, scripture says. He's in a room, and the crowd is people who are educated and teachers of the law. And there's these four guys who have a friend who's paralyzed, and you may know the story, and they say, hey, if we can just get our paralyzed friend to Jesus, all will be well. And so they pick him up, they become stretcher bearers, they pick him up, they go, but yet they can't get in because there's a wall of people. They're like, hey, we're learning about Jesus. You can't come in. They didn't stop them. And so instead, they get on the roof and they carry, make a hole, and they lower their friend to the foot of Jesus. And Jesus looks up at him and says, because of your faith, his sins have been washed away. Oh, and get up and walk. My question to you as a church is, are you a stretcher barrier? Meaning, are you doing anything it would take to bring someone to the foot of Jesus? Embarrassment? Would you get on a roof? What would it take? Or are you a barrier to stretchers? Are you saying, no, 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 you're not welcome here. No, 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 you need to conform. You need to be like us before you can see Jesus. And we actually create a barrier to those trying to get to Jesus. That story has convicted me. What about the resurrection story? Easter morning. The women go and they see the tomb rolled away. And the angel says, he's not here. He's not here. He's gone. And they go and they tell Peter and John. And John and Peter go and they sprint. And the scripture says that Peter sprinted in and he saw the linens lying there that once had a body of Jesus. Now, the question I have is, why was the stone rolled away? We know that Jesus had this really cool, amazing transfigured body. And there's a story where all the disciples are in the upper room, and boom, Jesus just appears. He doesn't go through the door, Scripture says. He just appears, and then he disappears. So we know in this new transfigured body that's so different than ours, he's coming. he didn't need the stone to be rolled away. He could have just popped on the other side. So why was the stone rolled away? I believe this. I believe the stone was rolled away not for Jesus to get out, but for us to get in. For us to experience the resurrected Jesus. I want to remove any obstacle so you can see an empty tomb. So you can feel an empty tomb. But so many times we roll obstacles in people's life. We roll, hey, you need to act a certain way, be a certain way. Before you can come to Jesus. I was reading a story of a missionary in Turkey. And they came upon a lady who only had one eye. So the missionary with a translator who was a pastor said, can we pray for this woman's healing? And she begins to pray and the pastor says, no. She needs to become saved before we pray for healing. And so the author who is filming this is like watching this debate where the missionary is like, no, 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 if we heal them, then that would bring them to Jesus. No, they need to come to Jesus and then be healed. You get the debate. And, this be, and, and to be honest, I don't know how the story ends. But I think so many times we say, hey, you need to act a certain way, be a certain way before you come to follow the way of Jesus. And I just think that we are preventing people from Experiencing the resurrection. Because I believe that. So when people experience Jesus, their life will change. So can we not make it difficult? In seminary, I did a paper. It was a 70-page paper, which I do not want you to read because it's just, it's long. But the premise was this. I took this passage and I said, the Jews are kind of like today's modern-day church-cultured people. And the Gentiles are today's modern- unchurched people. So church people who grew up in the church, there is a church culture, a Christian culture that exists, and the Gentiles are those who don't have that culture. Now, you may be asking yourself, well, which one one am I? I'm going to give you a little bit of a quiz. It'll help you identify and show your cards. So I want to be honest. I grew up in the church in the 90s, so a lot of my stuff is 90s. If you know what WWJD means. (laughs) You probably have some church culture inside of you. Now, if you're there thinking, is this some kind of wrestling thing? (laughs) Then maybe you're an unchurched person. And that's okay. See, I just want to preface, I am a churched person. I'm so thankful for that because it's helped me do a lot and it's prevented me from a lot. And if you are an unchurched person, there's blessings in that. Because now there's some baggage that comes with church people as well. But my hope is that my kids will be church people without the baggage. I mean, maybe it's a tall order, but that's my hope. So both are okay. So this is not one or the other. But WWJD, for those who don't know it, means what would Jesus do? And it was a movement. They had bracelets. I had the bracelet. So if you had a bracelet, definitely church culture. Now, if you had apparel, (laughs) yes, you were swimming in church culture. The idea was this. You had a big decision. You're like, what do I do? What would Jesus do? And you would make the perfect decision every time. That was the idea. If I say, hey, you're a Jesus freak, and you're like, what? Maybe you're unchurched. But if you start singing, what would Jesus do if he said, if you're down with the DC talk, It's a song, super popular, called Jesus Freak. If you know Newsboys, Audio Adrenaline, Sandy Patty, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, guess what? Welcome to the Church Cultured Club. If you look at a tomato and a vegetable and you start playing, Larry the Cucumber, Tom Tomato, church culture. Now, if you know McGee and Me, any any McGee and Me fans out there? Yes. Church culture. In fact, one of my good friends in college, his mom, invented McGee and me. I was like like starstruck. <laughs> if I yell, he is risen. You just showed your cards right there. Now, again, I'm not saying that is bad, but if you saw someone at the poll, if you know Promise Keepers, Iron Sharpens and these are all church culture things. And some people who are unchurched are like, I don't get it. What are you talking about? And that is okay. So I think what we do today is say, hey, you need to kind of immerse yourself in a church culture. You need to share our morality. You need to share our perspective before you experience Jesus. Now, what also is said in this letter is this. At the end it says, tell them to abstain from foods polluted by idols from sexual immorality. So why does he say this? So Jesus is going to meet everybody where you're at. He's going to meet you all where you're at. But guess what? He doesn't want you to stay where you're at. Jesus has an agenda for your life. Jesus is not an add-on to your life. He becomes the center of your life. The reason why they say this is there's many reasons. One, you know, there was a lot of idolatry, meaning people were following false gods. You know, maybe today in modern day, these aren't these little trinkets that you follow or bales or golden calves or anything like that. But we all struggle with following things that aren't Jesus, whether it's success, whether it's relationships, whether it's a family. We have these things. So that's what Jesus is saying. You have to stop f- making that the center of your life and make me the center of your life. It's not an add on. I see this all the time where people say, hey, you know what? I like this whole Jesus thing. It makes me feel good. I'm just going to add it to the other things that make me feel good. It's not an addition, it's a replacement. Jesus comes in to your soul, and guess what? He doesn't like a lot of company in there, and so he starts kicking out. This is what I think the whole temple scene, when Jesus starts kicking over tables, it's like, no, i got to get rid of the filth in your life in order for me to dwell in your life. So if you are an unchurched person coming to Jesus, guess what? There is a transformation that he's going to start in your life. A decision is a moment. Transformation is a process. And if you're a church person, you think, I got it all together, which you probably don't. You have to give patience, and you we are called to help people with their transformation path. So this is what's happening. So he said, all right, I want you to flee. I want you to share our sex ethics. I want you to share that Jesus is the one and only and who he says he is. There is a culture change that happens in your life. And another part that I really love about this story is when a big decision needed to happen, what did they do? They gathered, they got together. We want to hear from the Lord. We don't want to figure out this on our own. Jesus says, When two or more are gathered, there I am. Then that doesn't mean He's not there when you're alone. I believe that when we're gathered, something special happens. Now, I'm a huge advocate that we should all have a personal relationship with Jesus. That you are talking to him, you are hearing his voice, that you are spending time in the word. Yes, but there is something special about gathering. This is why we do this gathering right now. I can sing by myself, and I don't even want to be in that same room. But when I sing with you, it is powerful. I listen to sermons throughout the whole week. But when we're in the same room and we're hearing the word, there's something different and special. There's something that happens from the words of the preacher to the ears of the hearer. I know this because I have people come up up to me and say, Hey, this sermon made me blah, blah, blah. And they say, This is what I took away from it. And I said, I said nothing like that. But the Spirit takes the words, forms it to what you need to hear, and then injects it into your soul. We are called to gather because I believe when we gather, we can see clearly, and the presence of Jesus is felt more strongly together. He's felt when you're alone and I've had amazing alone times but we are called together. This is why we come together. Let's hear from the Lord together. Let's praise God together. Let's share in the elements together. It's amazing. It's also a time where we can hear what God's doing in each other's life. Paul's main argument is not a theological debate, even though they do bring out Old Testament. But Paul's like, let me share with you what God is doing in the Gentiles. In story after story to the point where they don't have an argument. So we want to do this in this series as well. We want to share testimony. And so our first testimony, I just want to bring up Sean. Sean, if you want to come on up. Now Sean And Christina are very new to our church. They've been coming on Sundays, and they we had dinner with them a couple weeks ago and said, Hey, we want to be a part of this. And then I'm like, I think Sean should give his testimony, but they're new, I don't want to scare him. And so I'm like, Kate, what do you think? And she's like, I don't know. And I'm like, I'm calling. And I called, and Sean was like, Absolutely. So I want to introduce you to Sean, give him a round, loud round of applause. Here you go, Ben.
1: All right, thanks. Um, so I was asked to give my testimony because I guess it's a little unusual. I don't think it's unusual. It's mine. But um, So I was raised in a house that we didn't go to church. Uh, my dad was raised Catholic. My mom was raised Methodist. And neither one of them practiced. The only time I went to church was when I, my grandfather was in town and we went to mass, or when I was spending the night at a friend's house and we went with them. Um, We did go, my sister and I went three times to Sunday school, and that was pretty much it. And I remember the third time we went, you know, I'm maybe 10 years old and she's five, and they wouldn't let us out of the room until we each named a book of the Bible. And I didn't know any books of the Bible. So it was really embarrassing, and I didn't want to go back after that. But so I always believed that there was a God. I just didn't know who this God person was. So... Fast forward to high school. Um, I took a class on world religions, and in that class, they had us read all these various texts. You know, the Bhagavad Gita, the Quran, the Torah, little pieces of all these these texts, and nothing sort of rang true with me. So I kind of just, just kind of dismissed it. Well, fast forward to college, and um, a friend of mine who was a Christian said, "If you were to die right now, why should God let you into heaven?" And my response was, because I'm a good person. And they said, well, that's not what the Bible says. And I thought to myself, hmm, I really don't know what the Bible says. So at that point, I didn't, didn't vocalize this or anything. I went home and started reading the Bible. And I read eight to ten hours a day for 30 days, cover to cover. I read the Bible. Before I got out of the Old Testament, I accepted Christ. I am a... Uh, history nerd. I was big into. I'm big into science, so I'm reading through, and I get in the Old Testament, and I'm seeing these prophecies, and I know what they're referring to, and they're so specific that I could not ignore them, and I remember multiple times stopping and going, "When was this written? Who wrote this? Was this modified?" And I had to go research it. I had to go look in, in particular, like like in Isaiah, how specific the um, prophecies about Jesus were. I actually went back and had to go look who wrote it, when was it written, how do we know? And then I've discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls and how it was identical to our modern and I just could not ignore it at that point. I knew that this had to be true. So I accepted on my own. Again, no one knew. And I got done with the Bible and I'm like, "All right, now what? I got to reconcile all these things that I know." You know, I knew some some of the theological differences, again, history nerd, you know, knowing about okay, so what about the Council of Nicaea? What about the Great Schism? What about the Prosper reformation? I just don't know what the, what's going on here. So I went to a Yellow Pages and opened it up. Yes, I'm that old, Yellow Pages. Um, and for those who don't know what they are, think of the uh, Googling near me, but print it out. <laughs> um, so I, I, I had a bunch of questions. I found a church. This is when I lived in Colorado Springs. And I called a pastor at Woodman Valley Chapel, and I said, hey, I got questions. I just became a brand new Christian. Can I come ask him? And they were excited. They said, absolutely. So I went, and bless his heart, I came with three pages of questions front and back. And we met multiple times. I kind of got through the major questions, you know, things like, what's up with this Trinity thing? Are we monotheistic or polytheistic? Because this doesn't make any sense to me. And we worked through this. And once I got done with that, at the end, he was encouraging me, you should really go to church. And I was like, oh. That was my next hang up I had to, had to deal with. You know, this whole church thing, like, well, I don't, I don't want to go to church. Church was where those people that woke me up on Saturday and you know, stopped me from sleeping in were, and the people who historically I had a problem with, you know, with you know things like the Child's Crusade and all these things that were done in the name of God. And then I remembered that Jesus loved the church. That was his bride, so it was something I had to get over. So I went, started going to church. I found a church, and I started going, and then I got it. I got why it was important. And... I didn't find this out until many years later, but my, uh, I guess apparently the changes that I'd gone through were so drastic that my mom actually hired a private investigator to look into me (laughs) because she thought there's no one can have that much peace. And anyways, they came back and told her, it's just a church, it's okay. (laughs) So um, fast forward, I I ended up switching schools, going to Colorado State University. I joined University Christian Fellowship. And, um, you know, actually got a, uh, one of the navigators to come and disciple me for a year. He invested a ton of time in me. Like every week we'd meet, we would pray, scripture memory, we'd evangelize together, we would hold each other accountable. It was fantastic. I uh, got plugged in with a, a Baptist church up there and actually helped out with the youth group, which I ended up running for a little while when the, uh, the youth, youth pastor left. Um, and it was at that point where I learned what WWJD meant. So... Um, Yeah, I can go on and on, but I think that kind of covers my basics, so. Um,
0: Yeah, the band could come up, and when Sean started telling me that story, it was kind of like this idea, when I was reading this text, I'm like, this is like the testimonies that I think Paul is sharing with the church. Look how Jesus is so desperate for those who don't know him. He is pursuing everyone. I have people, this happens to me all the time, where they'll bring up a friend and say they're going through a hard time and say, hey, have you ever thought about bringing them to a table, a session, or even a Sunday morning gathering? And the response is, oh, they're not religious. And I just started laughing. I'm like, well, there was a time where many of you were probably the Sauls. There's no way. Could we change our perspective and could we just say, you know, I think Jesus is pursuing everyone passionately and adamantly he wants all to come to him and instead of being barriers can we be stretchers can we do whatever it takes to bring him to the foot of jesus can we keep the stone rolled away and have people experience the resurrection which i believe is experiencing the peace and the love that come from communities that we're a part of at Fireside. Break bread. Hang out. Love, serve, worship, pray for each other. This is what Jesus has commissioned us to do. No matter what their past is or what their present is, he is adamantly pursuing all. And we get to be a part of that. Now, that doesn't mean that we're off the hook in our own transformation because, my goodness, I am being transformed daily as well. If anyone says, I have arrived, well, they have a long way to go. We are always being transformed. We are all being like Jesus more and more and more. So I want to close with Isaiah 56. And this is what Jesus quoted when he went into the temple and started wreaking havoc. And he said this, my house, which is a church, I'm going to say fireside, Will be called a house of prayer for all nations. The sovereign Lord declares He who gathers the exiles of Israel, I will gather still others to them besides those already gathered. God's on the move, people. I just want to declare God is on the move. Can we be moving with Him?